Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts with researcher, author, speaker, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff is devoted to keeping the hearts of parents and kids connected. He developed Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents target the root of behavior issues rather than whacking away at the surface. Jeff also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone, which helps parents understand the reasons kids depart the faith. It gives parents the information they need to open conversations with their kids to prevent this outcome. Learn more about Revive Family, its resources and coaching for families at revivefamily.com. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and we're continuing in our series talking about nine insights parents need to understand to raise adolescents. So if you've got a kid that's six, seven, eight, it's time to start thinking about it because adolescence starts earlier than we might think. 18 months prior to puberty, so as early as eight or nine for girls and nine or ten for boys. And in the first episode of this series, we talked about the belief that adolescents will distance from their parents no matter what. And the first tip was that adolescents want to be closer to their parents. In fact, research is showing they want more involvement from their parents, but a different type of involvement. The second insight we talked about was that the adolescent brain offers parents insights, understanding, and direction. And if you have an adolescent already, or you're about to have an adolescent, I'd really take some time to go back and listen to this session and specifically this segment on the adolescent brain. The third less encouraging statistic is that 70 to 90% of Christian kids are leading dual lives. But what we've discovered is they're doing that because we're unintentionally moving them in that direction, given our approach to parenting which is why understanding this statistic and what's leading to this outcome in our kids' lives is so important. Because while the dual life doesn't take over when they're in high school and living in our homes, when they leave our homes and head for college or the military, that's when the dual life can take over because they're no longer around us and other adults most of the time, like they are in high school or when they're living in our homes, which I've found contributes greatly to faith loss in the transition. So if we want to prevent our kids from walking away from the faith, we need to step back to age six, seven, eight, and leading into adolescence so we're not unintentionally birthing the dual life in our kids. And then where we ended last week's episode was kind of in a cliffhanger where I just got to mention insight number four. If you missed the first episode of nine insights parents of adolescents need to understand, you can go to my site, revivefamily.com forward slash podcast. That's revivefamily.com forward slash podcast and listen to it there. Or if you prefer reading, it's also available in my blog. So let's step into this sticky insight that discipline doesn't mean what we think it means. We've come to believe that discipline is a negative word that it's consistent with punishment or consequences that we inflict to help our kids learn and prevent them from making poor decisions. And believe me, when I started my parenting journey, that's exactly what I believed as well. 
I was really good at the consequences, at the punishment of my kids' bad behavior. And like many parents, I found it not to be working really well with at least one of my kids, especially my firstborn who was incredibly intelligent, was reading at about 19 months. We found by age eight and nine that it was having adverse effects, not just on our relationship, but on our daughter's heart. There are so many passages in the Bible that talk about a calloused heart, a hard heart, a heart of stone. And that's what we saw developing in our child. It was taking more and more time, more and more debate, more and more argument to get her to admit she had done something wrong. And it wasn't long after this that I began doing the research for the ministry, talking to kids about the college transition. And the last thing I expected that would lead to was working with parents on parenting strategies and techniques. But what I discovered in the research was... The kids weren't ready for the college transition. They were going into culture shock. They were leading dual lives already before they got there, but only 5 to 10% of the time because that's the only time they could get away with it. But all of a sudden, that had them pointed in the wrong direction when they got to college. And when we looked at the dual life, it tracked back to the parent-child relationship and specifically the parent's approach to parenting, which really challenged me as a father because I was so dead set on rules and consequences being the way to parent. It was as I was wrestling with this journey that God brought back this actual event that happened with a disciple I was mentoring on a college campus with a college ministry at Northern Arizona University. And his name was Isaac, and he was 16 years old. And just in spite of that young age, he was already a junior in electrical engineering in college. And one day he said, the church in the U.S. is just so negative. And I asked for some examples and he gave them to me. And one of the examples he said was this word discipline. You guys don't understand what it means. So why was he such an authority on this and so critical of the U.S. church? Well, he had grown up a Hasidic practicing Jew in the Hasidic quarter of Jerusalem in Israel. And he had practiced the law most of his life. In fact, he had had to go into their restroom and tear the toilet paper the night before the Sabbath because it was considered work to tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. So they would tear sheets and put it next to the toilet so they didn't have to tear the toilet paper on the Sabbath. He grew up in that environment under the law, and then his family came to know the Lord. And when that happened, their home was burned to the ground. So was their dad's business and ultimately the Christian church they started attending. And they ended up in the U.S. where he was already qualified to be a junior in college in electrical engineering. And I ended up with this kid as a disciple. And I've got to be honest, he taught me more than I taught him. He went on to explain that discipline in biblical times and still in Israel in the synagogue today in the Hasidic quarter is a positive word. It's seen in a positive light. And the way it's carried out is in a very gentle manner. In fact, the rabbi will survey his flock, and if he sees someone with an issue in their life or hears of an issue in someone's life, he'll first examine that person and see if he sees potential in them, which is where you wouldn't see Jesus in the equation. But if he sees potential, then what he does is he approaches the person and says, hey, can we sit down and talk? And he starts by listing all the positive potential he sees in that person. I see your leadership abilities. I see how people... People look up to you. I see your amazing communication skills, but there's this one issue, but there's this one issue of insecurity I'm seeing that causes you to have to one-up people, to have to have a bigger story. Watching people that want to follow you start to disconnect and fade away from you. 
And so this one issue I'm seeing could undermine all your amazing potential. And I wasn't sure if you were aware of it, but I just wanted to make you aware of it. And if you'd like my help with that, let me know. This amazing 16-year-old Isaac is the one that shared this with me, and yet I totally missed it when I became a parent. And I focused on rules and consequences. And I shut down or hardened my kids' hearts. It's not like we didn't have a good relationship. It's not like we didn't talk and have fun. But the consequences was causing fear of failure. It was causing fear of our response. And as a result, they began to hide more and more things from us, which is the genesis of the dual life. So fast forward to me doing all the research with kids and them telling me how they felt and what they thought about when their parents took their phones away or took their screen time away. And what I realized is they weren't learning anything except to resent and distance emotionally from their parents. They saw it as incredibly unfair because their parents yelled at them too, but no one took their phone away. Really forced me to go look in Jesus and what he did with the disciples and what I And what I found was that I didn't see Jesus issuing consequences to the disciples at all. It was in very stark contrast to the Old Testament, which was all about laws and sacrifices, rules and consequences, which, by the way, led to whitewashed tombs and the silence of the prophets for 300 years. So then I ended up having to buy this really expensive software package called Logos because it could do this amazing thing of analyzing all the passages on one word in the New Testament and present it in a graph related to their frequency of occurrence along with their meaning. And this is what the graph created. In the New Testament, here's the different meanings of discipline. The most frequently used form of discipline within the New Testament is upbringing and training. The second most frequent is to educate. Then it drops down to almost a single verse with instructor-teacher, and then we're definitely down to single verses with advice-prudence. Another one that means training, another one that means to train, then one that's really unusual that means fixed order, and finally one that might sound like punishment, strike in the face. You know what passage that is? That's the passage where Paul says, I buffet my own body to go in the way of the Lord. In other words, I smack myself in the face like I just did. That stings a little. Whether it's the passage in Hebrews or it's the other passages we see related to discipline in the New Testament, what we find is it was a positive word. It was not a negative punishment-related word unless we were pushing ourselves to go in the way of the Lord which flies in the face of so much of what we've heard and been taught and what has been going on for thousands of years related to parenting. Consequences, correction of this form is what causes our kids not to make mistakes. It's what causes them to learn. But over and over again, I talk to kids who tell me they're up in their room fuming at the parents, at the unfairness, at the penalty, and they're not reflecting, they're not learning, they're not growing. Whereby the rabbi's approach that Isaac taught me would cause someone to really step back and think and reflect because they've just heard all their potential and they're getting this caution that there's something going on that might derail their potential. 
This insight is so absolutely vital for parents of adolescents because leading into adolescence, if we begin to break the relationship and our kids desire to please us through our consequences and they begin to lead little minor dual lives by hiding little things from us, what we've discovered is that that just continues to grow if we don't stop and start to approach discipline like Jesus the Good Shepherd did. When we come back in just a couple of minutes, we'll continue with insight number five, which is outflow from insight number four, counterintuitive. Boundaries and consequences push our kids away and towards the very things we fear. I know this frustrates some parents as they're listening to it. I hope you'll come back after the break and really wrestle with this with me because I had to wrestle with it for years to finally come to the conclusion that I wasn't leading like Jesus with my kids. I'm Jeff Schock. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more of Revive Families Connecting Hearts. Hey, parents and grandparents, if you're listening to this program and you're wondering, okay, how do I parent apart from rules and consequences? How do I lead my kids like Jesus and see them make good decisions so that they don't lead dual lives and they end up following the faith after they leave our homes and they become amazing leaders like Jesus turned the disciples into? Got some good news. You can check out our entire Influential Parenting Academy absolutely free. You can go through the entire online course. You can download the audio course from within the online course. You'll even receive the implementation guide and process for bringing the change into your home, as well as an invitation when you get to that point to participate in free parent support phone calls where I'll answer your questions. And the good news, it's all free. We want to help parents avert the dual life and kids walking away from the faith. We're a ministry. We're not here to make money. Jesus didn't charge for his teaching and healing, and so neither do we. We believe those of you who go through the course and benefit will make a donation to the ministry to pay it forward so that we can continue to help families in the inner city who have been derailed by COVID-19, or importantly, coach kids and lead them through our heart healing process, thinking about amazing transformation in their lives. Kids who come in saying, I'm angry at God. He's a mean and cruel God. I don't want to talk about God. Walk out saying, Jeff, I was praying today in the car and I missed my turn. That's a call I got from Sarah. Sarah this last week. If you're wondering if this will work, I can tell you it does. I've got so many parents, so many testimonies to change lives in their kids when they began to lead like the Good Shepherd. So go to revivefamily.com, go to products, select influential parenting, and sign up for free today. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott. And we're continuing in this series, the nine insights parents of adolescents need to understand. And we're at insight number five, which is counterintuitive. Boundaries and consequences push our kids away and towards the very things we fear. I explained at the tail end of point four that discipline doesn't mean what we think it means, how our consequences motivate our kids to actually begin to hide small things from us at age six, seven, eight, which begins the birth of the dual life that we see so pervasive amongst Christian kids today. When I was doing all the research with kids and listening to them, that I was literally convicted by the Holy Spirit. It was like a smack in the face. I did to myself when we were talking about discipline and what it meant Jesus' day. 
and in the New Testament. When the Holy Spirit convicted me, it was powerful. And it was the conviction that I looked nothing like Jesus to my own kids. And in fact, that it was my approach to handling my kids' failure that was making their hearts hard, was causing them to become argumentative, defensive, and reactive. I wasn't the good, gracious, loving shepherd like Jesus was who, when his disciples failed, pulled the coin out of the fish's mouth because saw in his disciples' hearts the self-realization and conviction of the Holy Spirit that they had failed, and they had come to him and walked in the light and said, okay, we failed, now what do we do? We don't have the money to pay the taxes, which is where I began to explore how powerful the Holy Spirit can be in parenting our kids. I've worked with thousands of kids, I've coached hundreds and hundreds of kids, and I find that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working to convict them in their hearts as long as their hearts haven't grown hard and they're not so focused on pleasing us and meeting our expectations and avoiding our consequences that they can actually tune into Him. It's really clear from all those conversations that they're not learning from the consequences, just breaking their desire to trust us, to be close to us, be open and honest with us. It's causing them to emotionally distance from us, which is why the vast majority of kids I talked to before they left for college were screaming for freedom from their parents, which set them up to make all the wrong decisions the day they hit campus. What I discovered for kids in middle school and high school, what often happens is this closeness gets broken by our approach as parents, and all of a sudden they're looking for things to replace that closeness, that belief, that acceptance, that trust that they once felt so powerfully from their parents. But now it's gone because of issues with the adolescent brain that we talked about early on that have created misunderstanding in the relationship. It's caused performance issues. Parents are trying to correct with traditional approaches to parenting. And all of a sudden, they're feeling hurt. They're hiding in their rooms, and they find other things to fill that void, often the very things we parents fear they'll get involved with. This is why both insight number four and five are so important. I'd really ask you to ponder them and pray about them. And if you're listening to the Spirit, I think you'll hear that still quiet voice of the Spirit speak to you about the gentle ways of the Good Shepherd and how powerful it was in the lives of the disciples and the masses where 5,000 chased him around the lake. Insight number six, motivation issues are likely not a lack of discipline or laziness. In fact, what I've discovered from working with so many kids in coaching that have significant motivation issues is that they often lack hope. The hope that they're lacking is often tied to feeling like they're not good enough or that there's no way they can please their parents. Another source is the lack of internal belief. Their internal confidence and belief in themselves has been shattered, which is actually the case with one of my four kids. Why? Because he experienced a traumatic event from an older scout in Boy Scouts. He had two friends commit suicide, one of which he knew there was something wrong and didn't say something. Add these things to dyslexia and struggle with school, you can see why he might end up with some brokenness on the inside that led to motivation issues and a dependence upon video games because that's where he felt successful, where he could escape the ghosts of the negative feelings rummaging around inside his heart. Glad to report while he still struggles at times with video games and depression at times, he's a lot better and he's getting all A's and B's right now 
even in this COVID era of online all reading education, which is driving him crazy, and I'm having to help him get through that. Another source of motivation issues is a lack of self-understanding as to who I am, how I'm wired, what I'm going to be really good at, what I'm passionate about, and vision for the future. They just don't know where they're going. And for men, for boys, this is a big issue and can lead to motivation issues because once they know where they're going and what they're good at, that gives them the reason to get through the boring classes that they don't like and see any relevance to. But without that vision and a plan for the future, it seems completely pointless. Internal negativity, which my son encountered because of everything, really does impact motivation. And in fact, it often leads to depression. The major source from a psychological perspective of depression is internal hatred or being angry with oneself. I don't know why that causes the serotonin level imbalance, but it does. And when we look at Jesus, we just don't see him focusing on the negative behavior of the disciples very much. Rather, we see him giving them a vision and encouraging them to go grab that vision by showing them how to do ministry, how to change lives. And then he sends them out with some crazy instructions like don't take any extra clothes, don't take any extra money, knock on three doors, see if anybody lets you in and will receive you. And if they don't, don't worry about that town. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. No expectation of success or performance or outcome. Just simply give it a try. I bet he had to give a ton of encouragement to the disciples to get them to go try this. But I guarantee you, once they went out there and had a little bit of success, even if it was just a teeny bit, it made them want more. It gave them a vision for what was possible with them and for them and for their futures. Jesus was a great motivator, a great encourager. In fact, outside of loving one another, I can find only one other thing we're directly told we need to do with others in our lives, which is encourage encourage one another on to love and good deeds, which aligns with all of the psychological research that says our kids need seven to ten positives for every one negative. One thing I can tell you is when we get into a consequences, rules and consequences mindset, we're setting up a structure that is hunting, looking for the negatives. And I've found that oftentimes when we're in this place, we're not very good at finding the encouragement. Insight number seven, technology use is a symptom, not a problem. What I've discovered from talking to so many kids and coaching so many families and helping so many kids heal on the inside, partnering with the Holy Spirit who circumcises the heart, is that kids use technology to escape. They turn to technology when they emotionally disconnect from their family, especially their parents. They begin hiding in their rooms. Many report the reason they're hiding in their rooms is they're avoiding lectures and conflict and as a result, once they started sequestering in their room, they discovered that life was really boring by themselves, which then turns them towards technology. It turns them to either watching YouTube or watching Netflix, aging in social media where they can get likes and positive feedback, video gaming like my son Paul, where he would level up and feel successful and be able to play better than so many other kids. 
in other words, what I'm saying is that technology is the outflow of something going on on the inside of your kid. Found that they really do prefer face-to-face interaction and doing things with people over the technology. If they're in avoidance mode, it's going to be really hard to get them out of their technology dependence. Every time my family goes to a restaurant, we get comments about our kids because they're not sitting there on their phones. They're actually sitting there talking with us. And we're as parents, not on our phones, because we have a different family culture, a different approach, one that's ruled by the only rule we can see Jesus putting forth, which is love one another. Brings us to tip number eight. Earned trust is a lie and destroys family connection and relationships. We operate in earned trust in a family. It's fatal because we're all imperfect. We are going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other. And if that's a reason to stop trusting each other, then the emotional connection and love we have in our house is going to vanish quickly because trust is the bedrock of love. Telling our kids that they need to earn our trust is fatal because they don't know how long they need to be perfect in order to regain it. There's no definition. There's no timeline. And it brings on the hopelessness we talked about earlier. According to the Bible, love always trusts. And this really needs to be a centerpiece of our home. Insight number nine. Your relationship with your child is the answer. Recent research in the study, the buffering effect of positive parent-child relationships on adolescent risk-taking concluded that it's really the relationship and the quality of the relationship, the openness and the trust in the relationship that we have with our kids that protects them from making bad decisions in adolescence. Kids that had great relationships with their parents participated in risk behaviors far less than those who didn't. Which is why I want to implore you to take Influential Parenting. Go to revivefamily.com, go to products, sign up for Influential Parenting. Our entire Influential Parenting Academy, including the parent support phone calls, are free. I found parenting to be so much more fun and so much more joyful, and we have so much less conflict with all four of our kids than most families do because we're not battling over the rules and consequences. Instead, we're discipling our kids and leading like Jesus. I hope you'll take the time to maybe listen to the nine insights again, ponder it, and sign up for our class. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family. I'll be back next week with more of Revive Family's Connecting Hearts. Have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Family's Connecting Hearts with Jeff Schott. We'll return again soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Revive Families Connecting Hearts is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional, medical, or psychological support. 